he's alternating between like Buddha and Jesus. Yeah. And it's like, pick one <laughs> in <laughs> space. Welcome to today's episode of Church in Space. In, in 3D! If I sound a little different, it's because uh, I am in a mask and still recovering from something. It wasn't COVID, but let me tell you, it wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do not try on my recommendation. One star. See, now I'm thinking about diseases that you can recommend. <laughs> <laughs> in the Middle Ages, there was this whole plague called the Dancing Plague. Where, like, Interesting. Whole towns would start dancing until they collapsed from exhaustion. Hmm. We have no explanation for it. It is the weirdest thing. Uh-huh. It's called the dancing plague. I would think it'd be the, uh, is it Footloose? I consider Footloose a plague. I do. Yeah, I yeah, abso- yeah. Footloose yeah. is absolutely a plague. <laughs> it's really weird. We have no explanation for it. Like There are these descriptions of these whole towns that everybody starts breaking out into dancing. And then they do it in literally until they collapse from exhaustion. It's like, we don't know, is it a case of mass psychosis or like, what's the deal? But hmm. I mean, I would think that there's some diseases out there just so trippy that someone would want to get it just so that they can go on and <laughs> yeah. go on this massive I want the delirium, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is like uh, this fungus that like takes over the brains of ants. Yeah. Right. And wasps. I had a friend who was deathly afraid of brain eating amoeba. Hmm. from like water like wouldn't get in like small bodies of water to save her life like a bathtub no like lake like small lakes you know and this is actually a problem in michigan because like there's a lot of small lakes in michigan you know not just the big one but yeah every Mm -hmm. county in michigan pretty much has its own small lake but why small lake was she equally afraid of big lakes i guess no i guess that's where these brain-eating amoeba live is small lakes Tiny, those tiny little local lakes. And I mean, there's a the brain slug planet from Futurama, so that definitely reinforces the point of uh, brain eating right. uh, bacteria, fungi, all that fun stuff. Well, speaking of brain eating activities, <laughs> we, we have our actual topic today. So our major topic of discussion today is, was the Empire good in Star Wars? Was the Empire actually the good guys? Uh, this is an internet meme, but I think, you know, I, th- that's where I met it. I met it as a kind of internet... Inspiration. Inspiration. You know, some people will do this just to antagonize people, that the Empire is <laughs> actually the good guys. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in Luke's story is the story of a youth who is radicalized by a crazy religion to commit terrorism, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> you can tell Drew's a proponent of this theory. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's a reason why I'm in every single video game, I'm always the Empire yeah. in Skyrim. <laughs> so there's an interesting, because I think the Empire in Skyrim is ethically different than the Empire in Star Wars. I don't think they're they're quite the same matchup. Well, then first explain the ethics of the Empire in Star Wars. The pitch for the Empire, is the Empire good in Star Wars? I think is the pitch all empires make. In this case, they are similar. That empires bring order and peace, right? I mean, that's always like... Pax Romana. That's yeah. trying, they try to at least. Yeah, they try to. Yeah. You know, that like that is, the, that is the Empire's major pitch, right? It's like, it's like well, the Republic was disorderly it was corrupt it was disastrous i mean they never tried to bring order though like there was not if i remember right there was never some grand army of the republic there wasn't like 
hey, this security force defending everybody. Yeah. Like the whole point of the clone, the creation of the clone army was because of the threat. They didn't have a, the they didn't CIS. have an army. Yeah. I mean, there is a whole thing about, I think the Republic is absolutely inept. You mm-hmm. know, like somebody needed to give the Republic a real politique. Yeah. Like lesson. And a decent academy for stormtroopers that taught them how to shoot. No, but not really that, although they do need <laughs> that. But like my my major point is like the idea that you can have this intergalactic organization and that, oh, we'll just get rid of the military and let the Jedi handle it and that'll bring peace. It's like, okay, but all that really does is let anybody with money build their own military, which is mm-hmm. exactly what the Trade Federation does. Yep. <laughs> right? That's you know, like why the Mandalorians were such a th- Threat, right? To the, threat to the because yeah. like all that does is lets everybody else. The anarchists aren't going to like me who listen to our podcast, but <laughs> governments exist by virtue of coercive force. <laughs> you know, they just do. Like, no, I would think that would make the anarchists like you to say that. Well, I know, but like, I, I'll just say that as like, so if you're going to be an effective government, you can't just say, "Oh, let the Jedi be our coercive force." There's not enough of them. You need. Like Jedi leading armies of battalions of clone troopers, that's an effective military force. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jedi on their own, well, it's just Ian McGregor out there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> as cool as he is. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the time in the High Republic. Yeah. When right, right. when there actually were armies of Sith and uh, right. Jedi. Right. I know there's that whole but right. there's that whole backstory universe. Well, technically it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I know. Thanks Disney for making that non canonical. I just detect some bitterness, Drew. Bitterness that I'm not used to seeing in you. Let's just admit that the Thrawn trilogy would have been a much better, like, successor trilogy than, like, (laughs) you know. Getting back to the topic, if the Empire was good, I say yes for multitude of reasons. Number one is there wasn't an inherent corruption where there was with the Trade Federation, with the Republic, where you could buy your way to the top. The Empire is two people at the top and everyone else is screwed. Like there's no way to get to like gain higher power. So you're saying it's equal oppression. Absolutely. It's equal all the way around. Everyone's screwed. Like that's everyone does. Yes. That's why it's good. Like that's why it's good. You can't like have like aspirations. So, Oh, I'm going to go conquer this planet. No, you're not. (laughs) Here's why. Force choke. Exactly. Yes. I mean, it, it was technically ruled through fear. But that meant that everyone kind of fell in line. But that's why you had the radicalization so easy because of the fear. Because the uh, Rebel Alliance was just based out of fear. Right. In the beginning. Now, there was hope with Luke, and that's what the whole original trilogy was about, was about hope. New hope. It wasn't a new hope until... (laughs) Until years later, I know. Yeah. (laughs) Until he messed with everything. That's not the point. Uh, Mid-90s, Luke's lightsaber is the best one. The green one? No, no. When it was New Hope before, uh, like the like the complete digital remaster, oh, yeah, like the yeah, yeah, re- yeah, yeah. like almost like the color of the N95 masks, right, right, that, right. That like cyan color before it was like a little bit of a darker blue. That was my favorite color. Right. Lightsabers, the color palette by Drew Nelson. Yes. Anyway, going back to why it's good, like there was so much infrastructure in place to help everyone else too. Like mm-hmm. not just like um, oh hey we're gonna help this planet this planet. No, we're gonna do everybody equally and everybody suffers that's kind of what a good government's about not really putting someone above everybody else you just everyone's going to be here just get used to it 
and we can all be happy. I'm not sure I would call it good government. <laughs> it's it's fair government. Is it good government? I'm not sure I would call it. I say good and fair are the same things. Uh, see, I would say they're not the same thing. From a certain point of view. From a certain <laughs> point of view. Let's, <laughs> Let's get to the bottom line yeah. of the common citizenry. Would life have been any different either way? And I'm thinking not just in the Star Wars universe, even like look, well, at, on look at the American were colonies. Diff- on right? Tatooine, it was different. Clearly, slavery doesn't exist on Tatooine anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, like, clearly, there's a like this is actually, I think, the one point the Empire has in its favor is that whatever it did, it eliminated slavery in in the Outer Rim, right? And in other mid core uh, worlds, right. because mm-hmm. they had the army, they had the logistics to. Say because hey, they actually enforce the law exactly you know, yeah. across yeah. right. That's the one point. So, like, I guess I would say to that on Tatooine, a universe where Anakin's mother is no longer enslaved changes the whole equation, right? You know, mm-hmm. but I mean, they did give a lot of that power to the huts. But were the huts free to do as they pleased, or did the Empire have strings attached as the huts were their proxies? I remember right there were some proxies. Yeah, but at the very same time. I guess I would say, I think my answer to this question is, it's not that the Empire's good, it's that the Old Republic is not as good as the rebel propaganda made it out to be. Mm. Like, Mon Motha thinks the Old Republic was good, but she was a senator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it was good for her. It was good yeah, for Bail yeah. Organa. Like, yeah. It was also, yeah, you're in a luxury cruise line. Of course it's good for you. Right, like, like Bail Organa's a king, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course it worked for him. You know, like... Leia's actual legitimately royalty, you know, yeah. like it, it works for these people, mm-hmm. you know? So like, yeah, like the old Republic from some of the rebels perspective was good. The thing we're also not talking about is any non-human species, I think does not think the empire is a good thing. Yes. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the, this is a very anthropocentric human centered argument. Right. Cause like, isn't that part of if you're Wookie? Oh yeah, that Wookiees like, no. the, like, right, like, <laughs> yeah, Wookie's the Empire, no. Like the Empire's very bad if you're a Wookiee, yeah. right? Like, you know, and so if you're non human, like it's a I think it's a totally different argument. And that leads to this question. How much of the Star Wars universe was taken over by humans? You know, there's a whole thing there about I want to know the cosmology of the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Because there's that one line where Han Solo says an Empire Strikes Back, well, then I'll see you in hell. <laughs> you yes. know? But that implies that Han Solo at least knows there's a hell. <laughs> there's <laughs> some <laughs> religious aspect to it. Right. That like, there is a heaven and hell, which is just, for a throwaway line... There's a lot the, of cosmology in, yeah. Yeah. in that line. <laughs> Especially because then it goes counter to the whole Jedi principle, because it's very clear with their ability to merge with the Force upon death that the concept of heaven and hell is moot. And yet Jediism works. They actually manipulate the force. They, right. It, right. So like, are there, are there are, multiple, it's just like a choose your own afterlife. Yeah. Is this like- actually, the whole force ghost thing was not really around until Qui-Gon Jinn. So like before that, it really, that concept didn't really, wasn't even there. That concept wasn't around for like the greater culture. Like Han wouldn't have known. Oh yeah, by the way, there's a, you could be a Force ghost. If all you believe is in in the mini chlorians, you could be a Force ghost. <laughs> there again, yeah. right? Is there a caste structure? 
because it's only through midichlorians. Yeah, I'm loving this afterlife cast. <laughs> yeah, well, because you, know? yeah. you can you can only apparently you know really wield the force if you have a sufficient number of midichlorians. If you yeah. have none or below a threshold, you can't become a force ghost. You just mm-hmm. you can't manipulate the force. You can't have insight and precognition and blah blah right. blah blah blah. Right. So you know, our midichlorian blessed souls at a higher level after death than like a regular life uh, this, form. So, mm. so say there is a heaven and a hell, and there's this midichlorian force thing for those who have enough midichlorians, right? Mm-hmm. So there's these three options in the Star Wars universe. There's hell. Hell implies there's heaven, mm-hmm. right? And there's the force ghost option. Yeah. Right? Which is like between them because you're not going up well, you're not really going down you're just a force you, so here's goes. the question would you rather go to heaven or be a force ghost because a force ghost would be like being in the phantom zone or purgatory right? <laughs> you're, you're stuck in the realm of reality but you're not substantial but mm-hmm. you can still summon lightning bolts like Yoda does <laughs> which is really cool it's a really mm. cool power <laughs> You know, they don't have enough lightning bolts in heaven. Right. <laughs> like, which would you rather do? Like, I think it's an honest question, right? It is, like, it is. Like, you can still summon yourself to have embodiment in some way. And that, like, How Obi-Wan, do you travel? I don't know. Like, Obi-Wan sits, right? Yeah. Like, when like, he's, like, summoned back. Why does a ghost need to... How does a ghost sit? And, and to, that, to that, it's like, if you can control... Your, the physics of your body as a force ghost enough to sit down somewhere. I mean, that's the only way that you don't fall straight to the center or it, right. like float around in space. Like you control the physics around you. How, if you can do that as a force ghost, why can't you do that as a person? Well, they kind of do, right? You know, in the way they leap and levitate yeah. objects, that kind of stuff. So, so in their corporeal form, they at least have the rudimentary elements of that power. I'm just, well, Im- I'm just imagining in this like three-tiered afterlife system, like a Jedi who renounces force using because he wants to go to heaven. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I renounce this. Latter Day Jedi, right? Because I don't want to get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great short story to be written about a Jedi who turns into a monk, <laughs> like a literal monk, because he's like, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to like get sucked into the phantom zone yeah. ether of the force like thing, you know? And yeah, this is where I, I hate that George Lucas doesn't think through his worlds as he's world building. Right. If it requires midichlorians to manipulate the force, right. Then how do force ghosts manipulate the force? Because they're dead. They have no bodies. Therefore they have no midichlorians. They've lost the interface. <laughs> <laughs> they become the interface. Because isn't the, the point one. of midichlorians like your interaction with the universe more than anything else? Like you, because you have a high midichlorian count, you can manipulate the universe around you. Mm-hmm. Then, if you become one with the force, you become one with the universe. I guess I I always thought of it right. I always thought of the midichlorians as like the force is the hardware of the universe, mm-hmm. and like the midichlorians are like the operating system. Hmm. You know, it's kind of how I thought about it. Like it allows you to interact. With the hardware, it's the GUI. Hmm. Yeah, right. It is. It's the GUI, right? It's the heads-up display of like the universe. <laughs> you know, it allows you to like 
It's 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 Windows ninety eight for the <laughs> <laughs> You know <laughs> The Force is really just a Bill Gates operating venture. <laughs> that's all it is. The conspiracists were right all along. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's what I always thought of at the minute. When I heard that line, that's how I interpreted it as we were all a part of the force. That line that it's this energy field that pervades all living beings. That's yeah. true no matter how many midichlorians you have, but your midichlorians allow you to interact with the energy field. Yeah. So they are the interface one way or yeah. the other. I always yeah. thought of them like, for lack of a better term, almost parasites. Like if you can find them in your bloodstream. Well, they're not. So the just it's a distinction between a parasite and a uh, what's symbiote. A, a, right, it's okay. a symbiote. It's a small organism. How about that? A small organism that's in your blood. You right. wouldn't live without it, yeah. though. Right. I mean, even in real life, that's what mitochondria are. Yeah, you can like have no idea what they are. You can go out your entire life and have all these midichlorians and not be able to control the force at all. Mm-hmm. Really, controlling the force was more of. Um, a taught aspect mm-hmm. more than anything else. So the like, Jedi had to be trained preferably yeah. from a very young age. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, if you grew up to be older, you couldn't be trained the right way to control it. And you were more chaotic and they feared you. I always thought of it as more of everyone's got midichlorians somehow with breeding. There were Jedi that had more than others, yeah. except for the fact that now Je- Jedi's couldn't have partners. So that excellent point, right? It's self-defeating. Yeah. If everyone who we has we proper amounts Jedi, of midichlorians... We don't need a Jedi celibacy rule. We need a Jedi Kwisak Haderach breeding program. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the Sith were on to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were. You know, Sith had no problem with reproduction. Right. Yeah. We need a Bene Gesserit. <laughs> <laughs> so if you merge Dune with the Star Wars universe, the Bene Gesserit would have been on the side of the Sith. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, oh, that's, there's no question. That's, oh, that's no, there's no question to that. I, <laughs> Manipulate genetics to gain power. Well, that's because the Bene Gesserit just thought the Jedi were idealistic fools. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. Like, the Reverend Mother guy as Helen Mohiam was going to, she'd eliminate the Jedi Order in 10 seconds. <laughs> you know? <laughs> There'd be four battalions of Sardaukar <laughs> landing in that temple two seconds later, right? <laughs> Anyway, getting back to the point of if the Empire is good or not, Dan. <laughs> yeah, you haven't given a. We've all given our answers. Yes. What's your? Is the Empire good or not? My problem is twofold. I'm a relativist, and they actually blow up a planet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, which Hard to which seems a little evil. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but yeah. you can say all you want about how they. Brought I'm both order. a relativist, and at the relative end of relativism, <laughs> there is this thing about blowing about up blowing a up an entire world and its yeah. population of billions of people. All right. So, uh, yeah, I have that issue. We only see yeah. one city on that planet. It could have just been that oh, one. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Just try, <laughs> try, <laughs> try to pull that out of the fire. <laughs> just saying. No, <laughs> fail. It could be a whole planet with just one little city <laughs> with two occupants. Right, with yeah. two occupants. <laughs> All it was was Bale Organa. Bale and Leah Organa yeah. were the entire population. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I see in that regard, I see the Empire as worse than the Republic. Yeah. There's also the fact that I am a diehard believer in the individual having the right to choose yeah. their own destiny. Mm-hmm. And that's easier to do, at least on paper, in the Republic than in the Empire. Yeah. So less dictatorial. But that's why I brought up that question about where is the difference for the common person? Yeah. Because unless you had 
delusions of grandeur and you really wanted mm-hmm. to take over an entire planet, mm-hmm. you could still be a merchant. You could still be in local government. You could mm-hmm. still be a writer, a creator of games. Right. You know, all that stuff. So just like revolutions in the real world, does it make much difference to the common person in the U.S.? Yeah. And with the American colonies. Yeah, in in the end, it was only about a third of American colonists who wanted independence. Right. Another third were just completely ambivalent because it didn't make a difference to them either way. And the other third wanted to continue with the British Empire Mm -hmm. because their lives were good under the empire. Mm -hmm. People don't realize part of the roots of the revolution were because smugglers. Talk about the Tax Act, right? The Stamp Mm -hmm. Act. Yeah, I love I love that like the people who did the the Boston Tea Party, right? Were yeah. were all smugglers. They're smugglers they were smugglers because <laughs> because British tea was now cheaper than the tea they were importing <laughs> illegally. <laughs> and so they staged the Boston Tea Party because the yeah. British have cheaper tea. Right. <laughs> and that's what they're objecting to. They can't gouge their customers anymore. Right. No, yeah, that's a Yes, that's a that's a funny little so when you look at revolution in that light, right? You yeah, know, I mean the song's right, right? Meet the old boss, same as the new boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? You know, exactly. like, I, yeah, and I think that's what, like, the Mandalorian gets to, right? Is like those two lone little X-wing patrol yeah. <laughs> pilots in that one, you know, like that we meet a couple times, like, you know, like in the end it turns into what's actually changed for the frog couple, you know? Yeah, yeah. like in yeah. the end. Well, did you ever see way back? There was an old internet series called Troops, which was a parody of Cops. No. It is brilliant. Uh-huh. But it, again, puts it in that same light of... Yeah. You see those two X-Wing patrol right. people in The Mandalorian, and it's exactly like these internet episodes of Troops. Right. Yeah, you know, we're on the ground level. A cop is a cop, whether right. it's from the Republic or the Empire. Yeah. Right. You get stopped for speeding in a land speeder. It doesn't right. matter if it's a Republic cop or an Empire or cop. Or an Empire cop. A cop is a cop. Well, right. yeah. one would take your bribe and the other one would probably <laughs> kill you. Well, but, I mean, this is where I, I think getting a little heady, but like the anarchist critique of, you know, the concept of revolution is often that, well, yeah, and that's the problem is that the revolution typically just replaces who has the power and not mm-hmm. the structure of power itself. Yeah. You know, and like, yeah, there is a there's a critique to be had there. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. What happened with the New Republic, right? Yeah, the New Republic the new- doesn't actually last all that long, yeah. even no. in the even in the ex- the expanded universe stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, the aliens invade after a while and the New Republic basically collapses. Yeah, yeah it's too new. It hasn't been had time to build up any yeah. kind of strength. So when these aliens... Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the books from ages ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who knows well, if that's canon and, now. And, and plus, you know, it, it was destroyed. Right, and then the First Order comes along and... Yeah, yeah the First Order is evil because someone's an angsty teenager. And then... Um... <laughs> you know... <laughs> so you can't have an emo empire. That is evil. So three yes. well, the, the... evil emo empire. Yeah, but... That like the whole point of the first order was to destroy the old one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the empire really wasn't trying to the first destroy. order. Roy, the first order's problem is that the empire's believable because Palpatine doesn't think he's consciously evil. You know, he thinks he's doing the right. This is the thing about believable evil. Yeah. Nobody ever actually like sets out in the world to go, ah, ha, 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 I am evil. <laughs> um, Julia does. What? Julia does. Okay. <laughs> I still got to work with your sister on 
<laughs> on on communications committee. So <laughs> I reject that premise. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen a lot, but there are definitely yeah. days where she just does the <laughs> right. But like, okay, but believable evil, like people, not even like psychopaths do that, right? Yeah, like even psychopaths are convinced in their delusion what they're doing is necessary to fulfill a need. And that need is I must spill blood today. Yeah, like it's a bad need, but like internally, like people don't conceive of themselves as evil. Even the worst people think they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Burns. Montgomery Burns? In one of the episodes, he... I can't believe you're not on a first name basis with him. Well, I'm, I'm Smithers. Um, <laughs> anyway, so there's an episode recently where he is he gets into a robot that's like larger than him and walks around the plant because he thinks he's so good and everyone's rebelling against him and he ends up being part of the workforce and seeing that he's actually evil. Right. Like, number one, why? Mm. Se- second of all, yes, that's inherent in every single workplace. Right. The and, boss always thinks that they're the benevolent person until they rise. Right. Maybe not. And so this gets to my problem with the First Order. The First Order is a ham-fisted, we are intentionally evil. Yes. <laughs> you know, and it's like... We're going to kidnap your children. We are going to destroy your planets. We want to destroy. Right. And it's like, that's not how it... That's not how it, how evil actually works. Like, evil actually thinks it's doing the right thing, even mm-hmm. though what it's doing is actually quite evil, mm-hmm. you know, like objectively speaking, but like it does it in pursuit of what it thinks internally are its own goods. The, the empire prizes order, the Sith prize passion and power and power in the first order is just ham fisted. It think ah, I am intentionally evil. I am general. My name's not even good. <laughs> like <laughs> I was a wizard right. and now I'm this like pathetic little general. Right. I do this thing. Where in every movie, this is completely off topic, but I do this thing where in every movie, if I see a, an actor from one movie to the next, I mm-hmm. have to pretend they're the same character and some con- conduct a uh, like, how did he get from from there to here, <laughs> from this universe Ooh, to that yeah. universe? You know. So how does a Weasley become General Hux? Clearly, he's by magic created his own universe and gone insane. Actually, the entire Star Wars universe is... Mm. A fever dream. A fever dream. And he's gone in mad with power because he's actually God in this universe. And... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's just kind of... No. That's my theory. Oh, some he- spell hit him in the head, and um, <laughs> it's all delusion. <laughs> it's all delusion. No, that's We're, that's too easy. That's not. But it was all a dream. <sighs> I'm not gonna t- the great Hollywood cop out. I hate. Yeah. That. Mm-hmm. What was that series? Right. That, that like all all the the whole series took place inside the the kid's head. Oh, um, Saint Elsewhere. Yeah, Saint Elsewhere. Right. Have you read the? all TV takes place inside that kid's head because, (laughs) well, because the detective, detective Munch from law and order Mm -hmm. is also detective Munch, same named character in St. Elsewhere. And from there, the Mm. entire, the theory goes that any, any universe that has a shared character with those two, with law and order and St. Elsewhere is actually taking place inside that comatose kids that comatose kids head and so all television takes place inside that head because law and order has a lot of parallels with other television shows Hmm. intriguing it's like six degrees of kevin bacon but for you know but for tv but for tv it's great (laughs) six degrees of saint elsewhere (laughs) so how does senator organa go from being the president of the united states 
to being a senator in, in the Galactic Republic? Haven't gotten there yet. Okay. Okay, but off the top of my head, after he's done with his first term, he gets abducted by aliens. Hmm. And he's... He spends a couple years, you know, being worked out as some worker, but through his natural charisma that he displays on West Wing, mm-hmm. <laughs> he rises to the point of, because clearly kings are elected, right? This is the Star Wars system that we find in Naboo, right? Yeah, Naboo for sure. Yeah. Right. right. They elect, clearly in the Star Wars universe, they elect their kings, which is weird, but it's been done before, you mm-hmm. know? And so through his natural charisma, he rises from being abducted alien worker in the Star Wars universe to being king of whatever, you know, Alderaan. You skipped the part where he was an attorney in L.A. law. Yeah, no, yeah, no, he was an attorney and then he became the president right. and then, yeah. then he gets kidnapped so, by aliens. Right. Yeah. In that same time, he's also, isn't he, he's on Dexter too, right? He's Dexter's partner for a little bit in Dexter. Mm, I don't recall. Don't think so. Maybe, maybe I'm mixing up actors. But anyway, yeah. you're right, L.A. Law. But that's a pre-presidency yeah. career path, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Han Solo, Indiana Jones, President of the United States. They're all the same character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, one, that, one, that one's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> the Joker, uh-huh. Luke Skywalker. And, uh, oh, what's his other? What's the other character? Oh, crap, what's the other one that he plays? It's in the Flash universe. Oh, um, uh, the not the prankster. Um, the tricks. Trickster, something like that. Clearly, something. That's, yeah, yeah, Luke, yeah. that's Luke wrestling with the dark side, right? You know, that's like okay. delusional dark side wrestling that like Luke's going through. So he's still still on Dagobah in the swamp. Right. The dark so, force swamp. Right, right, right. So the Joker is a manifestation of like Luke's inner dark side being. Luke, you need to get in touch with your inner Sith. Mm-hmm. Right. Or you'll never be balanced. Right. Anyway, it's a fun game. You should do it. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, now I'm trying to think of better ones. I, but I love the idea of <laughs> yeah. the Joker being the Sith version of Luke. Right. Well, I mean, that also happened in multiple different books, didn't it? Yeah. He kind of toys with the dark side often. Anyway, yeah. to the game. To the game. So, our game today. So, this is inspired by, I got as a gift, um, this great book. It's called The Future is Female, and it's it's all science fiction stories written by women. So uh, favorite female, either or science fiction author, or I'll do science fiction character if you don't have an author. Yeah, I can go with author. So I will start. Ursula Le Guin. No, no, because she was going to be mine. Okay, okay, I'll pick someone else. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Uh, Left Hand of Darkness is legitimately one of the greatest science fiction books that's ever been written. Yes. Uh, yes. If you haven't read Left Hand of Darkness, it's about this guy who goes to this alien world where your gender is fluid. You aren't permanently gendered. Fascinating story. That and City of Illusions is also like, that whole Hainish cycle is like just a great, yeah, just great science fiction story. It is. She's phenomenal. Well, since you took her, she was at the top of my list. Yeah. I was going to say Anne McCaffrey and... Yeah, there's so many. You know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of jump mm-hmm. beyond what people expect, and I'm gonna go to DC Fontana, Dorothy Fontana. Okay, who? So what did? I don't think I know. Scriptwriter. Scriptwriter. Okay. Star Trek. Oh, it's, it's one of those deals where, of course, everyone holds Roddenberry on a pedestal. It mm-hmm. was his vision, you know, right? But she is the one who did the real world building of Star Trek. It was Interesting. her additions to scripts and the very scripts that she wrote mm-hmm. that really defined 
who the characters were and their backstories yeah. and their relationships. Like DC is the one responsible for Journey to Babel, which is where we learn. Oh, where we learn about Spock, about and his Spock, his and history, his, his father. Uh-huh. We get a ton more detail. Right, on Vulcan that really culture. builds Spock as a real person. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we find out, you know, the four species that founded the Federation in that episode. Right, and that was DC. You know, we have the Tellarites, the Andorians, the Vulcans, and the humans. Right. All of that from one episode. Right, right, right. But she was script editing across the series and was adding all these cool things. Yeah. So Roddenberry's vision, but she was actually the world builder. Yeah. And obviously did such a great job that that show is still in production today. Right, right, right. Across the series, it's actually one of the more coherent universes. Yeah. As coherent as a universe can be when it has multiple television shows and multiple writers, but... But they've managed to maintain a core continuity. Right. Yeah, you can believe this is all... What I'm eager to see mm-hmm. is Strange New World Spock. Well, not just Spock. I, uh-huh. I, I've heard that, that um, number one plays a big role because they've established numerous times that Vulcans mm-hmm. have emotions and they have very strong, powerful emotions, but that's why they adopted the philosophy of logic. They were going to wipe themselves out because of their passions. Right. And we see that all the time with like the Ponvar. And yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. actually when they... Let loose their emotions. They're deadly. Very. Yeah. Yeah. And hence the schism between Vulcans and their offshoots, the Romulans, Romulans, who rejected logic. Right. I'm just excited for Monster of the Week Star Trek episodes again. (laughs) I mean. Yeah. I know everybody's really into like coherent narratives, you know, and like these big, long prestige television arcs. And that's great. And it works out for Discovery. But like. Can't we just return to Monster of the Week episodes? Just one self-contained story. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That kind of writing is actually harder. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It is, yeah. Because yeah, everything has to, you have to have backstory, explanation. Right. Setup. Right. Climax. It's like conclusion. writing a short sermon. A short sermon's far harder than a long one. You know? A good short sermon, it's the most difficult thing to write in my life. I can ramble about Jesus for hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming up with a clear, I've said this before to you guys, but the greatest sermon ever preached is John Chrysostom's Paschal Homily. It's like three and a half minutes, you know, like if you read it out to yourself. Yeah. Like he says everything. It's the only sermon that's ever lived up to Easter Sunday, you know, what actually happened. And doing that is much harder than doing the long 12, 14, 20 minute sermon, yeah. you know, where you have all this time to build your point. And like, like it's hard to do a, tw- a good 20 minute sermon, a good 30 minute, a good hour long sermon. You know, those things are hard. But to do the the good three minute one, that's the most difficult yeah. thing. No, I agree. I've, I spent a big chunk of my twenties as an advertising copywriter. Yeah, hardest writing I've ever done because you've got like three sentences in a print ad right. or thirty seconds of a TV or radio commercial. Right. To make a complete case mm. and try to completely sway someone out of their old behavior into a new behavior. Right. Every word counts. Right. You know, when you got a novel, I, you know, Frank Herbert, you know, right. 500 odd pages, you, you got a little leeway on, right. mm-hmm. on words. But Asimov, 23, you know, 23 page short story, that's yeah. actually. Everything counts. Right. Mm-hmm. Drew, what's your choice for our I game? I don't read enough. Uh-huh. I'm just straight up, I don't. Yep. I keep coming back to Amy Pond. Ah, Amelia, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that, number one, her character never really falls in love with the main character of the show. Like yeah. that's usually like almost 
always like the a female character will always fall in love with the male character. What's that test for sexism in movies? The uh, yeah, are there two female characters who aren't talking about a man? Uh, right. Yes, Inside Job on on uh, Netflix, that there was two characters that actually in the middle of fighting they were like wait we have to stop right now we got to do this rule because if we don't you know all hell's gonna break loose but um she humanized the doctor in a way Mm -hmm. that i don't think any other of the companions really did i mean you have rose that made you know the doctor want to be with a human but not really made him into a human whereas amy did and humanizing without romanticizing yes yes you know is actually really a lot of people don't do it you know and it deserves more credit than it gets yeah. often, you know. Well, I mean, the other thing I like about that, too, is equally how much they treated Rory. Oh, yeah. In that Rory was having trouble seeing that the doctor was not a romantic threat mm-hmm. to him with Amy. Absolutely. And so that was realistic, too, to me as well, that, that Rory didn't have, couldn't see the subtlety in what Amy was really doing with mm-hmm. the doctor. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that yeah. a lot. And how the doctor became so protective I mean, of them as a couple. Absolutely. Like, they were his best friends. Yeah. Like, the right. whole reason for the doctor's wife was because people were afraid of that. Right. Um, and they made uh, River Song yeah. into what she is. But I love the concept, too, of how yeah. the doctor doesn't really understand romance. Yeah. I forgot which episode, but they're talking about oh, Rory and Amy's bedroom. Yeah, no, and the doctor says, but you have bunk beds. What can be better than bunk beds? That's one of the best episodes. Like, they're like he just won, and like, uh, what is Madame Kavarian? Is that the character's name? She's like, yeah, they um had the baby in the TARDIS. <laughs> well, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, nine hundred years old, yeah. and yet he's still yeah. so innocent like, in that yeah, regard. Yeah, like he took them on an adventure on their wedding night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yet somehow he had kids because the very first episode is him and his granddaughter. So yeah, way back. I think I did watch that pilot. Yeah. And they allude to it at least a couple of times that he had kids, but I don't think they ever touched on that subject. No, there was recently, I think it was just this past season, there was a quick reference to the doctor's granddaughter. Hmm. Be interesting to see if she comes back at some point. We get to see Susan again. Uh, you're talking about uh, Tennant's wife? No, 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 no. Okay. No, that was because she was technically a clone. Yeah. Because she was you know, made out of his yeah. DNA, synthesized. The Doctor Who universe is a fascinating. It is. <laughs> it's the all wibbly, wibbly, timey, wibbly. It's probably over the course since 1963 uh-huh. of all its varied convolutions. It probably is the closest to the way the cosmos really works yeah, than well. any other sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it yeah. never set out to be that way. Right. Probably. What, that everyone wants to take over Earth? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I don't get. Like, why is just everyone so intent of taking over Earth? Well, like, like why? Marvel raises that same question. Yes. You know, like, in New York, why does everyone want to destroy New York? It's, not, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a great It's either London city. or New York, depending on what yes. your franchise is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, or where you're based out of, if it's America or if it's in London. Um, like, why there's there's no point (laughs) like there's so much else than the entire universe why is it just new york where literally all the superheroes are (laughs) do you have to do that at some point you'd think thanos would be like no we're just gonna skip over that thank you very much (laughs) that's why i like the hitchhiker's guide view of earth (laughs) yes (laughs) yes 
only, <laughs> I think that's the only universe where the Earth is destroyed just because it's inconvenient. Right. <laughs> it's in the way. Yes. <laughs> We're putting up the highway. Yeah. <laughs> also, how they could just rebuild it at like the drop of it. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It, rebuilding it is so also inconsequential. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> but in Marvel, they explain it as there is something, and they never fully get into it. Did the Celestials do it? Is it God? Is it whatever? But in the Marvel universe, it's because there is something very special about humanity that we have more potential than any other species in the cosmos. And so these other species want to destroy Earth so that we never attain that. That particular MacGuffin of a thing is like the explanation for a lot of sci-fi. Yeah. There's some, whether it's, you know, like telepathic or genetic or whatever, there's some human potential and, you know, which... Well, some human potential, yeah. Yeah, because like Arthur C. Clarke, Childhood's End. Right, you know, But we're end. one of many species that can attain right. this. With, with Marvel, we're like the ultimate. For whatever reason, we're the ultimate. They right. kind of, Stan Lee took it to the farthest, right. furthest possible. We should stop here because I think this could be a whole topic for an episode. Oh, okay. But, next week's topic. All right. Yeah, we've been talking a lot. We've been talking yeah, we don't time. talk a lot at all. No. Yeah, I feel like the hardest thing to do with this podcast would get it down to what thirty minutes. Yeah, at this stage, you get it down to yeah. an hour. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so let's try next time. <laughs> so, we're just gonna end it there. So, okay. So, game conclusion. Game conclusion. Ursula Le Guin. Yep. DC Fontana and Amelia Pond. Yep. Yep. Which is good. I feel good about all those. I do too. All right. Each in their own right. Well, folks, this has been Church in Space. In 3D! Hey, Dan. Mm-hmm. Did you bring the kyber crystals? I, I, I'm missing a green one and a blue one. Oops. I use those in the Christmas lights this year. The green ones and the blue ones? And the blue ones. I use the blue ones for outside and the green ones for the tree inside. Oh, wait. What, you, and the red ones, too, right? Yeah. Okay. Now it explains, though, yes. the tree limbs were fighting each other. Huh. You're saving the purple one for Lent, though. Right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah.